Hi. How are you? I'm not the pastor here if you're the, this is your first time at Chapel Hill. I'm, my name is Peter Herzog. I'm the worship director. And our pastor, Paul McVitie, is in uh, Oklahoma, or he's coming back from Oklahoma. Um, he is Canadian. So I think there's some unique, I think there's some interesting coincidence that he goes away, and then if, like soon after there's a riot in Vancouver. <laughs> so I'm not saying anything, but I'm, I just am curious if there was, he had some hand involvement in that. So, so um, the... Uh, how many of you know of Taylor Swift? So on Wednesday night, I called Joy at 5 o'clock, and I said, I have tickets to Taylor Swift in two hours. Drop Grace off at my mom's house, and, and let's meet up. So we, I, we, she did that. We got in the car, drove to Taylor Swift. She's like, you got tickets? She was so excited. And she goes, where's the seats? And I go, it's, it's like two-something. I go, it's upper deck. And, and, you know, and she's like, oh, great, that's great. So then we got to the Excel Center, and I showed the usher our ticket, and they led us to the first, the lower deck, and we went down the stairs, and we're going like 20, row 18, row 17, and, and I'm, I'm looking at the seats, like trying to get the numbers, and she's like, and I go, I go what, what number is it? She's like, you're on 14, and we're going down 10, 8, 2, and she's like, what are you doing? These are amazing seats, and I show the usher our tickets, and they go, yeah, yours is right over here in front of the sound booth right there on the floor, and Joy goes, are you kidding me? And it was just an incredible, I just, I loved your experience. We walked right up to the, like, row 23, right in front of the stage to see Taylor Swift. And uh, she was super excited. And the reason why I did this was because on Friday we, have, uh, we had our 11-year anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 11 years ago, shortly after we got our driver's license... We got married, <laughs> and uh, it's been an awesome 11 years. I can't imagine life without Joy, and, and as you know, she is a beautiful, beautiful inside and out, and uh, um, I, I've loved just I, all, of, all of our time together. It's just been amazing. We've seen God's hand in our, in our lives in a powerful, powerful way. So I know you're all wondering, how does a Taylor Swift concert start, right? Well, let, let me show you. Here's, here's how it looks from row 23. So that's how she starts her, her, her concert. And at the end of that first song, she just stood out there in front of the, the, of the, the um, Excel Center and just stood there. And the crowd just went nuts. Just like, and it's all, you know, young girls. So it's ah, screaming. And she just stood there and just, and then she turned her head. And when she turned her head to the side, this section went, wah, and freaked out. And then she turned her head over here and, wah, 
ah, freaked out. And then I think she was like trying to show off because she then, then she stood still and she moved her eyes over here. And they freaked out again. And then she moved her eyes over here and they freaked out. And then she smiled and then they freaked out even more. And it was just, it was a little too much for me. But it was, you know, it was, um, uh, it was amazing the, the power she had in the room. You know, she just had this power at her disposal to make this section scream and this section scream. And just by looking, it was amazing. Well, I want to talk about power this morning. I want to talk about how God's power is so much different than Taylor Swift's power or any other power in the world. And uh, yeah, amen. Um, so I want, to, I, want to, I want to, we've been going through Ephesians, and Paul got us going in Ephesians. And if you need a Bible, ushers, if you could bring a Bible to anyone raising their hand, uh, you'll need that this morning. We are going to continue in chapter 1, where Paul is writing to the, the church in um, Ephesus. And so, yeah, just raise your hand, and, and uh, uh, um, ushers will bring you a Bible. And Paul wrote this book. He was a, um, a murderer, a Pharisee, and God appeared to him. Jesus appeared to him in blinding light, literally blinding light, and he became a pastor, Actually, a pastor of the church in Ephesus for somewhere around three years, it says in Acts. And so it started off with about 12 people and then just started to develop. So Paul, this man who is graciously saved by the power of God, um, is writing to this church that he knows and loves. And so Pastor Paul, in the last couple of weeks, introduced us and brought us into um, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, and started to um, show like what Paul talks about in, the, in chapter 1. And a couple things that Paul does is he has this long sentence. Do you remember that from last week? Paul, Paul told us there's this one long Greek sentence. And in that sentence, he talks about all these amazing spiritual blessings that God has given us through Jesus. He talks about how we were chosen before, the, before creation to be holy and blameless in his sight predestined us to adoption, to sonship through Jesus, that we would be heirs to everything that God owns, which is everything. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of all sins, made heirs to everything God owns, made no, he made known to us the mystery of his will, this mystery that throughout the ages, throughout the Old Testament, the, prophet, the, the, the prophets were talking about. He made known to us that, minister, that mystery culminating in the death and resurrection of Jesus, he marked us with the Holy Spirit as a seal. It was guaranteeing our inheritance and guaranteeing that we're God's possession. This whole 3 through 14, all those verses in chapter 1 of Ephesians, talks about all these amazing things that God has given to us. This is glorious. It's magnificent. It's incredible, this whole section. And we only see it very darkly, as through a glass darkly, as like in a mirror, in a fog. We, we, we kind of see these things, but soon, soon we will see it in full. And we will know God just as well as he knows us. So Paul starts off his chapter with this great thing. Boom, 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 boom. Here's all the things that God has done for us. And then, in verse 15, he continues his thoughts. Let's read verse 15. For this reason... Ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all his people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation 
so that you may know him better. Verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. Stop for a second. Paul's praying, I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened in order that you may know. You need to know that Paul is writing this to Christians. He's writing this to Christians. These are not new believers. These are believers in the church. Once he, he's thanking God for, remembering you in his prayers, that they have this faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and this love for each other. And these Christians are ones that he knows. He's passed them for three years. So he's got them in mind. He's thinking about them. And he says, I want your eyes to be enlightened, which implies that their eyes were dark, darkened. They weren't seeing things very well. And that you may know. And he talks about that a little bit. We'll, we'll get into that. But Paul's talking to Christians who are spiritually dull. Spiritually just kind of flatline. And this is what it's on his heart. They don't feel the power of God. So, that, you know, there were Christians, there, back then, Christians that didn't feel the power of God. Can you believe that? Aren't you glad that's not the case today? No, there are many Christians, many Christians in this room who don't know or have felt the power of God. So, why do our eyes get dull? Why do we lose it? Why do we um, begin, to, why, 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 do we, why do we not sense the power of God? If, if God's power is so amazing, as he talked about in verses 3 through 14, why don't I feel it? Well, there's three things. One is, there is this deadening, darkening power of sin in our lives. And when we don't see that, when we don't see that, that sin is darkening our, our lives and darkening our eyes and darkening everything that we see, yet God is conquering that sin in our life, we don't think it's very powerful. What I'm saying is this, is that we have sin in our lives and God is constantly moving and working at it and conquering it, but we don't, sometimes sin is so darkening that we don't even see the disease, number one, and we don't see there's great power in his conquering of that disease. For example, if you had a disease, imagine this, if you had a disease and there was one pill that you took and it kept you alive, you would be amazed at the power of that pill. You'd be amazed. Well, we are covered in sin, this disease, and we are kept alive and moving forward by the power of God. But we are darkened to this. That doesn't seem like a lot to us. Yet we don't see how amazing that is in itself. The second thing is this. The, the, power, of, uh, there's a, the power of the demonic forces all around us darken our eyes to what really is going on in the world. We are in a war zone. We're in a battle. And there is an enemy who continually attacks, who hates us, who wants to take us down, who wants to destroy our families, destroy our marriages, destroy our kids, destroy our church. And we are being attacked constantly. But we are here today, and we live. And, in, and because of that, it's an example of God's power, keeping us, protecting us from all sorts of attacks. Not all, but all sorts of attacks. And so when we don't see that, and we don't live with a war zone mentality, and then we, but yet we find ourselves thriving and moving forward and growing in Christ, we don't see that as power. We need to understand that we are in this war, so any spiritual movement towards Christ is a blessing, even if it's small. Even the mere fact that you're sitting here today, 
is a power over the enemy. And the third thing is this, that we don't know what God did in Jesus after the resurrection. We don't know it. We don't know it. We don't see it. And I want to talk about that today because it talks about what God did through Jesus shows us the great power that is available to us, that God is moving toward us. So these are the Christians in Paul's heart. Christians who have, their eyes are darkened. They don't experience the power of God. They, they're kind of bored, I would say. Um, they don't care. They're just, it's, it's the, the Christian that just, I don't feel God's power. I just kind of go through the motions. I have lots of doubts. These are the Christians on Paul's heart. It's interesting because John picks this up in Revelation when he talks to the church, um, the church in Ephesus. He says this, I know your deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know you can't tolerate wicked people, but you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you found them false. You've persevered. You've endured hardships for my name, and you've not grown weary. I see all these things that you're doing, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You have forsaken the love you had at first. These are the Christians in Ephesus. They once were on fire for Christ. It started off probably as like this dozen or so people meeting in a small room. It was fresh. It was new. It was all about Jesus. And it started to grow. And people started to come in. And what happens when people start coming in? You've got to start organizing. You need to build walls. You need to have a structure. You need to have a budget. You need to have a building campaign. You need to get carpets. You need to do all sorts of things. And soon you find yourself looking back going, where is the fire What happened? And John is saying this to the church in Ephesus. You have forsaken your first love. And Paul says, I want your eyes to be enlightened. That God would take away the dullness. And so this message is for those in this room today. Your eyes are darkened. You've forsaken your first love. Remember back when you first became a Christian. For many of you, that was an exciting time. Now where are you? Have your eyes gone dark? Have they gone dull? Have you forsaken your first love? And Paul is praying earnestly in 18, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know. Let's stop there again. What does Paul mean by know? In this section, Paul says, I want you to know something. And we're going to talk about what he wants you to know. But this knowing is not like Satan type of knowing. Because here's the thing. As the Bible says, Satan knows all this stuff about God. He knows all the, the truths about God. He knows who Jesus is. So it's not this kind of just knowing, this data, who God is. This is a different kind of knowing. Paul's talking about this kind of like, this, um, this conscious knowledge of God, this conscious experience, this tasting of who God is. Now some of you may know that Taylor Swift is a new country singer, she's young, and she can fill the Excel Center with two nights in Minneapolis. And you know these data, you may may know these things about Taylor Swift, but you don't know her music. You don't buy her music, you don't study her lyrics. You have no idea what the song Dear John's about. I'm looking for all the Taylor Swift fans, okay. So, you don't know, you haven't been to her concert. You don't know what it's like when she turns her head. (laughs) 
You don't, you don't have this experiential knowledge. Okay, so Joy and I have been married for 11 years. I can list out attributes of joy, bullet points, data of who joy is. I can show it to you, and you wouldn't fall in love because you don't know joy. Like, I know joy. You don't know what it's like to go, to go, I can't imagine life without her. It's this deeper knowledge that Paul is getting at here. Not just facts. Are we, our country is just full of information. And that's not what Paul's getting at here. He's getting at a deeper knowledge and an enlightenment of, his eye, of your eyes. So, all right. So what does Paul want you to know? He lists three things. One, what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And this is the part I want to focus on. What is the immeasurable or surpassable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Now, notice this. He's not praying that we get the calling. I'm I'm, I'm praying that you would get called. No, he's not praying that. He's not praying that you would become heirs like I talked about in verses 3 through 14, all these amazing things God's done for you. Or get the power. He's not saying that. He's saying this. You already are called. You are heirs. You have the power. You just don't know it as you could. I want you to know them. Know them. I am praying that you will know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards you who believe. Verse 19. He's praying, Paul's praying, that we'd be like spiritually, experientially conscious of God's power towards us as believers now. So what is this power like? This is what Paul's going to answer next. What is this power, power like? So in verse 20, starting there, we're going we're to see that Paul's going to describe what happened to Jesus after the resurrection. And all of this shows us what the greatness of his power is like. So, Let's go, ahead, let's go back to verse 19, and I'm going to show you five aspects. Actually, Paul's going to show us five aspects of what happened after the resurrection. So verse 19, Paul says, and this is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. So in other words, what Paul is about to do is he's about to show us what this great power is like. Paul is saying this, the power is like this. It's like this. Verse 20, it's like this. The power of God toward us is like the great might which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Verse 20, again, the power of God toward us is like the great might that God worked when God seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Third, the power of God toward us now is like the great might that God worked when he exalted Christ far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. That's verse 21. Two more. Fourth, the power of God toward us now is like the great might that God worked when he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Verse 22. And lastly, verse, the fifth one, the power of God toward us now is like the great might that God worked when he made the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who, who fills all in all. This, these are the five glimpses of what became of Jesus after he died. These are five things that happened to Christ after he died. And Paul is saying, 
this great power that God has towards you is like this. So I want to dive deeper into this. I want to I look deeper into each one of these things. And I want to say that I'm using a lot of, I'm, much of what I'm using here is from John Piper's study, which was fantastic, and it moved me. And so I, I took it from that, and I put it here. So I'm in debt to him for this. Let's look at, let's look at the first one. The power of God toward us now is like the great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So the point here is this. The power of death is gone for those who believe. The power of death is gone. Death is dead. The enemy is defeated. Yes, we will die. Believers die. But the power, the sting, has been removed. 1 Corinthians 15 says, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The sting is gone because it is now a gateway to paradise with him, to the new heavens and the new earth. This last Thursday, I drove up to see my grandmother, who I call Omi, and my grandfather called Opa. I drove up there. I love calling them Omi and Opa ever since I was little, so until 31 years old. Omi and Opa, that's what you call them. I'm sure you have funny names for your grandparents too, so there. <laughs> anyway, so I drove up there, and uh, because my grandmother's been suffering from endometrial cancer, as many of you know, uh, for many years. And so she, uh, has been gone through, she's gone through chemo and treatments and Mayo Clinic and all sorts of stuff. And I got there, and I saw the hospice nurse, and she's told me, She's got a week left. My Omi, who, has, who is extraordinarily active, who loves God with all her heart, who is an incredible artist in watercolors, who is a, a beautiful, she, she's, uh, she's beautiful, and she also cooks very well. She's an incredible cook. Has a week left. And so I hung up there with Opa, and we took care of her, and she was in her bed and frail and, and not really with it. And then, and then the, the hospice nurse came back again to do some things, and, and they came back out and said, Opa, Scott, actually, she called him. I just didn't call him Opa. I called him Opa. She said, Scott, actually, she only has a few hours left. I'm seeing rapid change in her condition. So now is time for you to go in and say goodbye, Scott. So my grandfather, it's about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, went in. And, uh, and spent about an hour with her, just with the door closed. And then I called all my family, and they started driving up. And uh, they got there, my dad was there, my brother was there. Um, and uh, my dad was in, in there with her, and he came back out, and he said, man, her breathing has really slowed down. So I went in with her to check things out, and I walked up, and I looked at the bed, and I looked at her chest, I looked at like, her rib cage, and I was watching it, and waiting, and waiting. And I grabbed her wrist, and I held it in my hand, and there's no pulse, and she was gone. 623. And I felt tremendous relief.
I felt joy. The sting is gone. There's an entry to paradise with him. She's free of cancer. I also was wrestling with this, this passage because I knew this was going on. I knew, I knew this was happening. I knew I was going to preach on this. And I'm going, God, you were saying that the power that rose Christ from the dead is available to us. So raise my Omi from the dead. Raise her, like save her from cancer now. You can do it. If you read in Acts, Paul actually had people healed by his clothing in Ephesus. So why can't you heal Omi? Why can't? I'm praying, I'm asking that your will be done. I've prayed bold prayers for her. And it didn't happen. And I know many of you in this room are bitter because things have happened to people. Maybe it was death, and it happened in a way you didn't want to happen. And you prayed and you asked God to move, and he didn't move. He didn't move. Well, you you didn't think he moved. Or maybe you didn't see it. You see, God answers all prayer. But he doesn't always answer it the way we want it answered. Could it be the case that God has a better idea of what to do here? Could it be the case that death was the way that he heals your loved one from whatever it was? Yeah, but I don't see it, I don't see it that way. I, I, it would be better if they were, just, they were just here because this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. It's awful. But this is where we trust that God's power is working in other ways. And this is where I'm trusting too. That even though I think Omi had 20 more years of her life, what God, and God saying no to healing her in this life is better than what I was asking for. You know what I'm saying? So this is the power that God has for us. The power that can save the wretched, save those who are sinful, save the wicked, and save them from the sting of death and lead to paradise. So God raised Jesus and broke the power of death, and that power is available to us. The next thing is this. Verse 20, God seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. The right hand is a symbol of strength, symbol of power. It's God's right hand. And since it's God's right hand, it's the power that created the universe. And that power that installed Jesus as as God's right hand put us there too. So Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and then Ephesians 2.6 says this, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This means the the power that took Jesus from death and put put him eternally in God's presence puts you there too and securely holds you there next to the right hand of the Father. So, God raised Jesus, broke the power of death. God seated Jesus at the right hand and with us too, and that power is available to us. Next, verse 21, God set Jesus far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Ephesians 6.12 says this. It tells us who the rulers and authorities are. Rulers and authorities include the devils and demons of the universe. The power that we have, avail- that we have access to is devil, Satan, dem- a demonic, defeating power. Paul says later in Colossians 2.15 that at the cross, God disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame 
by triumphing over them in Christ. So that when Jesus rose from the dead, he was exalted above hell itself. That at his name, every knee shall bow, including the demonic systems and strategies and tactics and rulers and authorities. They are defeated. And while the war still has more to go, we we still have more war going on, they are defeated in Jesus' name. Today is Father's Day. And uh, I want to really encourage you to, to thank your dad, thank your father for what he's, he did for you, your, your earthly father. Thank him for the responsibility he took over your family, for the things that he, he did to protect you, to provide for you. Thank him for that. Show him your appreciation. And for those of you who don't have a father, whether your father is absent not with us anymore, or just was, you know, there's a strained relationship there. Just know that, that God, your father, is available to be your father. He's a father to the fatherless, a perfect father. So thank him for his provision and protection. And to the fathers in this room, I want to encourage you with this particular power, that you would use this power to protect your family from demonic attacks. That you would pray continually that God would protect your family from the spiritual attacks that go on in this world. Protect your marriage. Protect your kids. That as fathers, as heads of the household, we would consciously, intentionally pray that God's power would move through our houses and remove any strongholds in our houses. From our kids, from our, from our, our marriage. Pray that this Father's Day. So God raised Jesus and broke the power of death. God seated Jesus at the right hand and us with him. God set Jesus over all demonic powers, and that power is available to us. Two more. God gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. Verse 22. It says this. God put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. The two things here. It says this. Jesus Christ is head over all things. Head, which means authority, which means rule. It's like John Piper says it this way. Um, God gave, uh, God, uh, Jesus has power over all history, over all human beings, all demonic powers, all disease, all disability, all nature, weather, hurricanes, lightning bolts, tornadoes, volcanoes, earthquakes, floods, global warming, all businesses and industry, healthcare, sports, inventions, media, cell phones, internet, iPad mania, military might, governments, presidents, kings, chiefs, religions, universities, solar systems, stars, galaxies, molecules, atoms, subatomic particles, and 10,000 things no man has ever yet discovered. Jesus is now head over all of them, conscious, active, authoritative, ruler over all things. And the second thing in verse 22 says this, he is given as head over all things to the church which means that all the power and all the authority and all the wisdom, he serves us through that. He serves us as our leader and our savior and our king and our friend. This is the power that is towards us through God. So as a church, we want to be a church that guides people to a flourishing and contagious relationship with Jesus Christ, right? And so By this authority and by this power, we have the power to complete that mission statement as a church. So God raised Jesus from the dead and broke the power of death. God seated Jesus at his right hand and us with him. 
God set Jesus over all demonic powers and gave Jesus' head over all things to the church. And that power is available to us. Number five. Number five. Where God rules, we will rule. Verse 23 says this. We believers are his body, the the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is profound. His body, the fullness of him who is all in all. I don't don't think I can explain this very well, but what Paul is saying is that God wants to fill the universe with the authority of Jesus. We are the body of Christ. We are the body. So if God wants to fill the the world with, with his authority, and we are the body of Christ, we are the embodiment of that fulfilling. We are the means that God wants to fill the world with his authority. Let me say it differently. When Christ rules, we will rule. Where Christ rules, we will rule as well. I mean, it says in Genesis that, that God wanted us to inhabit creation, to subdue it, to enjoy creation, and reflect on God's glory in creation. We as believers are new creations for that reason. And God will fill all of his creation with that glory, and we will be that fullness. So, God raised Jesus from the dead and broke the power of death. God seated Jesus at the right hand and us with him. God set Jesus over all demonic powers. God gave Jesus as head over all things to the church. And where God rules, we will rule. And this is the power at work toward us now that Paul is talking about. This is tremendous power. How can we comprehend this power? Many of you are asking, this sounds great, it sounds amazing, it's very theological, it's very heady, but how come I don't feel it? And I, don't, I can't prove this to you today, and I, I just pray that God would, would move in your heart with these things, but the only thing I can say is this, are you breathing? Are you sitting in a church right now hearing the truth? I mean, think about your family history. Think about what it, would ta- what, what it took to get you from where you were at to hear. Now that made some of you like, well, that wasn't a big deal. My parents are Christians. Well, what brought them to be Christians? And what has kept you in this, in this place? Don't discount how amazing that is. We take it for granted. Oh, it's just life. Coincidence. Where I was born. Are you sure? Don't be so arrogant to think that you can see everything and how it all works together and it was just boring old circumstance. God's power is at work in all sorts of ways. Jesus says, if you want to go to that slide number seven, uh, it says John 5, 17, it says this, not seven, but John 5, 17, it says, my father is always at work to this very day and I too am working. Jesus says, my father is always at work to this very day and I, too, am working. I love this verse because this verse tells me that even when I don't feel it, even when I don't see it, even when life is not going the direction I want it to go, my Father is always working to this very day, and I, too, am working. And this father, the Father and Son have this tremendous power, and God is for you. You may not feel like it, but he's battling Satan. He's protecting you from all sorts of things that you have no idea about. So let me close in prayer. Have the ushers come forward. Have the band come up. And I'm going to pray Paul's prayer 
for us, over us. And I would just ask that you'd open your, your, your heart to the spirits moving this morning. Let's pray. Oh God, we pray that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened so that we would know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the spirit of his might, which he brought about in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. God, we pray with Paul that the eyes of our heart may be enlightened, that you'd open our eyes to your great power, and that we would know and taste and see and experience the power that you exerted in Christ, the power that is available to us, the power that is toward us. I pray for the skeptic in this room. I pray for the Christian with the dull eyes. God, I pray that you would show them your immense power in your creative way, Lord. Open their eyes to see reality. Give them a glimpse of what you're doing today to protect them, to move through them. Lord, I know there are people in this room who life is not going the direction they want them to go, and it's not been going the way they want it to go. Lord, they need to see your power and see that you are working and you're with them. And even through the pain and through years of pain, you will be victorious in the end. Lord, give us the endurance and the faith to trust you no matter what happens in our lives. In the powerful name of Jesus at the right hand of the Father, all God's people said, amen, amen.